Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. Who was here last week? Can you just raise your hand? Okay, who wasn't here? Sinners. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. Uh, I, I had the honor of, um, well, we, we have communion once a month, and um, so I thought, you know what, we've been the pastors of this church for over a year, and I've never taught on communion. I've said some things in passing. So I did a message on communion, and uh, a lot of us, if we're raised in the Protestant church or charismatic church, or maybe we have a more liturgical or high church background, we have different understandings of what communion is. Um, and so I kind of gave a, a perspective that it's more than a symbol um, and so I would encourage you listen to that message. But today I want it's it would kind of be like a part two, I guess you could say. And I'm going to be talking about the concept of what God can do at a table. And so I want to uh, I want to share this with you, and I hope it's encouraging to you. Let's start by reading First Peter. So if you have your Bibles, open up to First Peter chapter four. Amen. If you're wondering why I'm wearing an Eagles jersey, I'm not trying to offend Bills fans. Um, actually, this is Randall Cunningham's jersey. It's a little vintage. Randall Cunningham pastors a church in Las Vegas, and I had the honor of being his worship pastor for a time, and I used to travel with his group, so he's a friend. Um, and I like the color green and football season. Who's going to be watching football this afternoon? Come on, somebody. Who's rooting for the Bills? Well, you guys are so passionate about football. It's amazing. Who's not rooting for the Bills? Whoa! Blasphemy. This can be a church split. We better be careful. (laughs) We better be real careful. Who's rooting for the Broncos? One person on the front row. My mother-in-law is in town. So um, I have this on because uh, Randall Cunningham's a dear friend, wonderful pastor in in Las Vegas. And and he gave me this jersey, and I like to wear it. It's football season, and, you know, I just said, hey. I usually wear a shirt and a jacket. I look the same every Sunday. There's different colors. I'm so boring. My wardrobe's so boring. Same shoes and, you know, I'm kidding, of course. I have a great wardrobe. Praise God. Because <laughs> I know that's what you were thinking. Amen. Um, but I uh, uh, just had to give a little notice so the Bills fans didn't think I was, you know, trying to call it. I want to make sure you can receive from me as I preach the sermon today. And if that was a stumbling block, now you know. So 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, this is a beautiful text, and, and I'm going to be talking about the concept of the table, what it means to sit at the table. Last week we talked about coming to the table of the Lord, receiving communion, and what that means, and how the Lord is present at the table. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of our history and our journey, and, um, and just how the Lord has really revealed His heart and love uh, in in wonderful times in church and in ministry, but also at a table. Amen? Amen. Let's read together, starting at verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. You all ready? Just say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, my gosh. It's like a choir. Listen, when we fill this auditorium out, this, we, this is our choir right here. Everybody in the room. Come on, somebody. All right. We will have formal auditions, so please don't take my word for it, Lee. All right. <laughs> he pastor said, I'm in the choir. 
But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. I want to stop at that verse right there and just, just talk for a moment about the importance as believers that we are praying people. Um, we did a little bit of a series on prayer, and I enjoyed it. I think it's so important, though, that we learn that not only does prayer change things, prayer changes us to go change things. How many know that we're not just called to pray, but we're called to partner with God to see his kingdom invade the earth, like to see things change? Sometimes it's in prayer that God will drop something in our spirit, and he's like, I want you to go be the change. We could pray for reformation, but if we pray until we get the spirit of reformation and then we go and change and reform things, come on. We could pray for revival and pray for life, but then when God revives us, we become that outflow of that life and that living water and that revival to the people around us. But it starts with prayer. And I want to talk about what what God does in our lives. Sometimes we're like, I don't feel like God's talking to me. Have you ever felt that way? I feel like God's silent. You know, you see this in the Psalms. Like, I don't know what it means to hear God. And I've never been taught that. But I can just tell you right now, if you just give yourself to listen, if you're still in the moment, if you yield your heart, God will speak. God will direct. God will send people across your path. God will give you peace in the midst of the storm. Come on, somebody. I read one verse and I'm already starting to feel a little fire up here. So I just need your help, and I'll, I'll dismiss you earlier, okay? It'll be like a quid pro quo. If you say amen, make me, encourage me, come on, don't flatter me, but encourage me, and uh, I preach quicker, amen. Prayer is so important. He says, be watchful in your prayers. Now, this is written, you know, 1,900 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. How many know that we also live in a time where prayer is important? Prayer changes things, prayer changes us to change things, and prayer changes everything, there's something about God wired in creation. When we talk to him, things change. And we make declarations and we prophesy to dry bones like Ezekiel 37 where it may look like dry bones, it may look like death, but God says, can these bones live? And we begin to prophesy, God, would you breathe life into this valley? Whatever the proverbial valley is, we today more than ever should be a people of prayer. And what God does in the earth and what he does in us the transformation, the, the how, many, how many feel like, you know, like, God, I want you to transform me, right? Unless y'all have arrived and you're glorified and all that, you know. But, like, there's times, like, I want to encounter your love. I want to encounter your presence. Like, do what you do in me. I want the fruit of the Spirit to manifest. I want your gifts to flow through my life. I want to be used by God. I want to advance the kingdom of God. I want to serve in the church. Listen. Be a praying saint, and that is the foundation of how, that's the oasis of that flowing out of your life. Can you say amen? amen? That's not what I'm preaching on, but anyways, I just love that verse. Verse 8, and above all things, I love this. So he starts with prayer. Have fervent love for one another. Could you say that with me? Say, fervent love for one another. It's a fiery love. God is like, would you be passionate and real and authentic about loving one another. You know, the church is a place where we should be more real than any other place. But unfortunately, sometimes we have to get out of the habit of coming and putting on our church smile. How you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm blessed. Thanks, brother. But inside, we're... How many know we should love one another and be open to be real, to keep it real and be authentic in the presence of the Lord together? 
where we bear one another's burdens. If we're going through it, be vulnerable and open and humble enough to say, hey, I'm going through it right now. And sometimes it's, it's like the key to breakthrough is just if we're humble enough to receive from somebody else, but there's something profound about that exchange of love and relationship in the body of Christ. And Peter, the apostle, is saying, above all things, have fervent love for one another. Then he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another. Say that with me. Say, be hospitable to one another. Uh, That last part just was a crash and burn. To one another. Four people. The Bible's telling us to be hospitable. The word hospitable can be translated uh, to open your heart and open your life and welcome people you don't know. So powerful. The gift of hospitality. He says, do it without grumbling. In other words, welcome people into your heart and into your life that you don't know and do it joyfully. Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. And then he goes on. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As good stewards of the manifold, the many-colored, the many-faceted grace of God, the gifts that he's given his body, we are individual members of his body, amen? Amen. And every one of us has a gift, and every one of us is significant. And the Bible says, if I could just take a moment, that God has given us gifts in Romans chapter 12. There's seven motivational gifts that the Father has intrinsically wired us with. There's administrations, there's leadership, there's hospitality, there's encouragement, different types of gifts that we're just born with. Prophetic, like in nature, that we're just cut and dry. Then Jesus is told that he gave gifts to men, five gifts, in fact, that are people, they're gifts to the church to equip the saints. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit, we see gifts from all members of the Godhead. Come on, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us gifts, and these are nine gifts of the Spirit. Most of the time, we're only after the nine gifts of the Spirit. But we don't like the gifts of Jesus because they're wrapped in human flesh, and they're harder to receive. And then the gifts of the Father, like, well, that's just like structure and, you know, like, no, we don't want structure and we just, but we just love the new wine and we just, the gifts of the Spirit and and the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but how many know we need all of the gifts of the Godhead to help us function as the body of Christ? And this is what Peter's saying, love one another, be hospitable to one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And don't forget that we all have a gift and we have to steward the manifold grace of God. See, there's so many facets and expressions, and here's the key, is knowing that every single one of us, as a member of the body of Christ, is significant. You know, every part of the body is significant. Every part, every vital organ. There's some organs, and there's some parts of your body that move and do what they're created to do involuntarily. They just do it. I mean, can you imagine? I was sharing this with our serve team meet. We had a serve team meeting yesterday. Who was here for that? Incredible time. We meet with our serve team every once in a while. We have a breakfast, and then anyone that wants to get involved comes. And, and we talked about the parts of your body that just, there's parts of the body of Christ that just, they just serve. They just, it's like, oh, I'm here to serve. Self-giving, other-centered, sacrificial. That's love. And some of us, it takes a little, we got to warm up to it. Like, I don't know if I want to get involved. You know, I got a little church hurt going on. I don't want to dip my toe in that river or not, you know. And, and it takes some time. But how many know, I mean, would it, it would be crazy if we had to consciously 
tell our heart to beat. Are you thankful that you don't have to do that? <laughs> Can you imagine you get busy, you're driving on the road, you're listening to music, you're multitasking. Oh, I forgot to tell my heart to beat. Beat heart. Or whatever, you're like, you got to tell your liver to work. You know, like, oh, I've got some pain in my back. And, you, you know, you're not drinking enough water. You got to tell your kidneys to function. No, the way God designed the body, there are vital parts of the body you might not see that might not seem significant, but they're involuntary. They, they move and they do what they're created to do. And so there are different facets to the body of Christ. We're individual members of one body. Now, the three scriptures I just mentioned to you, Romans 12, the gifts of the Father, I'm going to make sure you get this because it's sometimes when I teach, it's like drinking from a fire hose. So I, I know that's difficult. Romans 12 say the gifts of the Father. The, gifts of the, Father. the motivational gifts. There's seven of them. You can look them up later. And then Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts of Jesus. Say the gifts of Jesus. These are known as the ministry gifts. And there's five. And they're just like the gift giver, God incarnate. He gives people. They're wrapped in flesh just like he is. And then there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 say gifts of the Spirit. And these graces, these gifts are given to us so that we can be built up and encouraged. It's interesting, in a lot of church culture that I've been around, even pastoring, some things that we have to unlearn. Um, one of the things that I'll mention briefly is that we have to unlearn thinking that the gifts, namely the gifts of the Spirit, are for our edification. There's actually only one gift mentioned, and it's only one facet of that gift of the nine that edifies ourselves, and that's the prayer language. But sometimes we get caught up in this thing, and we're praying, use me, Lord. And we feel like it's the intent is good because we want God to bless people around us. But sometimes, use me, Lord, has a mixed motivation of orphan thinking because we only feel significant when God uses us. Matter of fact, sometimes we will use our own gifts to make us feel better about ourselves. And we don't feel anointed unless we prophesy over 27 people. Or we don't feel anointed unless we get the microphone. Or we don't feel anointed unless we have some title in church. And when we're looking at this verse here, these verses that we've read, before we move on, I want, I want to say this, that gifts that the Godhead gives are to edify one another. They're not to make us feel more self-important. Now, Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, you're individual members of one body. The eye needs to stop trying to act like the ear. I, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. The nose needs to stop acting like the big toe. Come on, somebody. You see, the, the nose smells. The big toe stinks. The big toe can't smell. That's bad English. The big toe stinks. Well, not all of us. Unless we have really clean feet. Come on, somebody. But every part of the body is significant. And Paul says, as a matter of fact, the lesser parts, the ones you don't see, actually are more vital. There are parts of the body that might seem insignificant. And guess what? There are people that I don't feel significant. Well, you need to know you're significant so you don't get caught up 
in the way of doing church where it's like, I, if I have a microphone or if I this or that. No, you might be in business or you might be at your job and God's anointed you to shepherd people. You have the heart of a pastor. You, I mean, you could be an entrepreneur and be apostolic. Come on, somebody. You could be in political realm and you could have a prophetic anointing where you're making declarations that actually shape laws and bills and change and overturn things that need to be overturned for the people of God. Come on, somebody. You have to realize that you can have a gift that's not just for the body, but it overflows to the world and goes beyond the four walls of the church because that's the many-faceted grace of God. Your gift, if, if it's only attached to a platform, position, or a title, then you're missing out. If my gift, if my identity is in my calling alone, I'm missing out. If God told me to, which I don't feel like this is how it works, I think God wants us to continue to progress and go from glory to glory. But if he said, son, I want you to stop having your identity and your calling and in your gifting. I want you to lay it down. I don't want you to pastor. I got someone else I'm going to put in there. I want you to love your wife, love your kids, and raise your family. You know, I would do it in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Because if my identity is in my gift and my call, I'm missing out. And I don't know my own significance. And this is an issue, I feel like it's very prevalent, and we have to guard our hearts. There's lots of lies of insignificance. You're not enough. You don't pray like that person. You don't have this gift. Well, you, you're not on the worship team. And it goes on and on and on. There are so many lies of insignificance that we believe, aren't there? But the reality is, is that we are members of one body. I learned how significant the big toe is. I broke my toe. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I broke my toe doing really dumb things. Uh, lived in Las Vegas, partying with my friends. We had lived on, uh, actually stayed with my friend that lived on the golf course right off the strip. And we're swinging off the roof and short version. Uh, we're, we're not using a rope, but we're using a hose that was broken and duct taped. And I'm swinging off the roof. And we had to do anything to give us a rush, right? How, how many young, especially young men that are just dumb adrenaline junkies, or you were, right? And, and you could like look back and think, thank God for your grace. Do you ever look back and think, I'm so glad I'm still alive? Man, I do many times, you know, on the back of a, a pickup one time, going to a Grateful Dead concert, holding on to the pickup with rollerblades on doing 60 miles an hour. It was fun, though. <laughs> it really was. So I'm swinging off the roof. Well, guess what? It's my turn. Well, guess what happens? But we're, we're doing it for a rush. But it's not, we're not just swinging off a roof. We're swinging off a roof over a spike fence. Because it's like, whoa, what if it snapped right now, bro? That'd be crazy. <laughs> well, guess what happened? When I did it, was my turn. Oh, it snapped. And I'm going down, down, spike fence. I'm thinking I'm going to land on it. It's like a movie I've seen where the spike fence goes through. And oh, and I'm laying there. All my stoner friends are pointing at me, probably laughing, but crying at the same time. Because when your friend gets hurt, when you're a stoner dude or a skater, you laugh when they get hurt. Bones sticking out. Oh, gnarly, dude. So I thought that was going to happen. I really did. Everything was in slow motion. You know when you get hurt, everything's in slow motion. Somehow I hit my toe on the top and I like landed on my back and my neck and I get up, all my friends are laughing. I'm like, dude, I think I broke my neck. I'm like, I'm walking like this, you know, and I realize I broke my toe. 
So I'm on crutches. I had no clue. I'm 17. I'm like, I didn't know you can't walk without your toe being healed and whole. So I had a, a very like uh, enlightening experience. Every part of the body is significant. You know, there are parts of the body of Christ that feel stinky, insignificant, not seen. But God says, no, no, no. The body can't move without that part. Every part of the body is significant. And I believe this is what Peter's saying. He said, love one another fervently and steward the grace of God. Steward the grace of God. He goes on, he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. So the gift that he gives us must be the gift that he supplies. In other words, we don't all have the same gift. We're not all anointed to lead worship. And we should be thankful for that. We're not all anointed to teach. We're not all anointed to do administration. Some people have no administrative ability at all. How many know administrative ability is important? How many, so, how many know leadership ability is important? We don't all have, we all have different gifts. And that's the beauty, the diverse, eclectic expression of Jesus, the anointings that we carry, they're all a beautiful expression of the anointed one, Jesus, because we're a body. We are individual members of one body. Can you say amen? amen? We have to steward the manifold grace of God. And one of the ways we do it, and I want to encourage you, one of the ways we do it is realize that God doesn't just move on Sunday morning. We know this. We love Sunday morning. God doesn't just move at a conference. God doesn't just remove in revival meetings. And that is wonderful, and I love all of that, and I can tell you stories of how I've been transformed by significant things. I'm a Sunday morning dude. I love meeting on the Lord's Day, worshiping and having an encounter together with God, just like when we were in worship just now. But I want to encourage you that I have seen a lot of transformation in that type of thing, but I've seen even more significant transformation of God doing things at a table. The gift of hospitality opening our hearts, loving one another. And as, as we, you know, look at the early church, they broke bread, fellowship, prayers, devoted to the apostles' teachings. We see they went from house to house and they met in the temple. Both are important. And they, they partook of the Lord's Supper. They came to the table of the Lord. They received communion. And when we sit at a table as believers and we invite someone to our table it is the overflow of the hospitality that we've been shown by the Godhead himself. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I'm going to just me mention briefly in Luke chapter 14. You can read it. Jesus talks about taking the lowly place. He's, he's at dinner at a Pharisee's house. Somebody was healed and he's there. And, uh, and he noticed everyone rushed to be in the honorable positions. And Jesus is rebuking that mindset. He's like, no, 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 no. Take the lowly place. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted, right? And then he tells a parable. And I love the parable. He talks about the invitation to the wedding or the, to the feast. And a bunch of people that were invited made excuses. They didn't want to come. And then a bunch of people that weren't qualified to be there were invited. And there's this verse that says that he wanted his house full and that is the heart of the Father, that the Father wants his house full. But it's not just Sunday morning. It's at a table, heart to heart, 
face to face. What God can do at supper. What God can do if we realize that we've been included, we've been invited, and there's, hear me, hear me, there's always room at the Father's table for us. And I love the parable. Read it later. I'm not going to read into it. I'm not going to read it to you right now. But there's this, Jesus says, take the lowly place. And then he, he gives this parable. And, uh, and the heart of it is invite everybody. Invite the poor. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. And you'll be blessed. There's something about the heart of the Father where we just open our hearts. I've seen it, you know, through our ministry time. Some of the impactful transformational testimonies that we've seen we started a church in Las Vegas in a coffee shop, and uh, praise God, what a better, there's no better place to meet with God than drinking Java. It rhymes with Yahweh, like there's just this, I'm just saying, it's not an idol, but you know, if I don't drink coffee, I'll get a headache. I'm saying it's a drug, okay, I need help, pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. I enjoy good coffee, but how many, we started a church in a coffee shop. It was about 12 people, exploded to hundreds, I mean just, and God moved powerfully. And I remember we didn't have a youth group. We started a youth group. And guess how we started it? In our home with nachos. Come on, somebody. It was cheap and it was delicious. We didn't have money. So we're like, what's the cheapest thing to feed these kids? A big can of gross cheese, jalapenos, and corn chips. Right? Tortilla chips. Not Fritos. No. Got to do it right. So we opened up our home. Found out uh, there's a lot of kids that were just hungry, not just hungry for food. So they would walk over from the projects. We had government projects just walking distance from our house. Kids without, didn't live with their parents. Found out there's a lot of broken people. One young man came to youth, gives his heart to the Lord. Young man named Laris. This young man ended up moving in with us. For six years, he's like a blood son to me. It all started at a table. It all started as an invitation. Some of you have met Laris, who's actually coming out to visit. He's staying with us for quite a while, so it's going to be amazing. I love my spiritual son. But there's something about opening our hearts to people we don't know and making room at our table. And that only happens... See, we can't throw out an invitation if we don't realize an invitation has been thrown out to us. We read the parable of Jesus. Jesus is like, man, why are you guys jockeying for the places of honor? Just humble yourself. Don't worry about it. See, when we get caught up in that stuff, we don't enjoy the party. We miss out on the party. I've seen it happen time and time again. Uh, you know, at our own wedding, uh, which was nearly 22 years ago, my wife and I are celebrating 22 years this month. Come on, somebody. I love you, baby. I remember there were some people that just didn't enjoy the wedding much because they didn't get the places of honor. They were sitting with this person. They didn't like, it's like, just enjoy the food and the company. It, it's not all about you. Hello? See, Jesus is like, stop this nonsense. You're going to miss out on the party. You're missing out on the whole point. Sometimes we do the same thing. The point is, is that we feast on him. But we can't throw out an invitation if we don't know that we've been invited. In Genesis 18, in closing, it's a powerful story that exemplifies, it's an Old Testament type and shadow 
of hospitality. And actually, it's, it's Abraham being hospitable. The Lord appears to him. How many know the story in Genesis 18? There's three angels. Or, or some will teach that one of them is Jesus, and then the other two are like archangels. And that's very possible. But Abraham waits on them. Let me just read a few verses because there's something very powerful and there's a parallel in this story to what I'm talking about. Genesis 18, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. You guys don't know what that is unless you go to Las Vegas, by the way. You knew hottest part of the day. Death Valley, like, oh man, they had like 130 degrees. It was a rough summer. So thankful. I'd much rather have a really cold winter than one of those summers. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. So this, this is the Bible says the Lord appeared to Abraham. And then there's these three men or angels. Or it's the Lord and two angels. Or is it? And so what happens, it says, when he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while the water is brought to wash your feet. So Abraham welcomes them with a beautiful gift of hospitality by washing their feet. Very humble place of a servant. In Middle East culture, feet, you just like, you don't even sit and show the bottom of your feet. It's, it's a disrespectful thing. In, in our culture today, like my sons, my kids, you know, they'll go to someone's house and their feet are on the coffee table. If we're in the Middle East, they probably get hit in the head with something like <laughs> for being disrespectful. This was a big deal. And he said, since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. So Abraham is being hospitable to these three. All right, they said. Do as you've said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry. Basically said, I want the finest meal. We're going to throw out a feast. Abraham ran out uh, to the herd, chose a tender calf, made some veal parmesan. I inserted that there and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt, milk, and roasted the meat. And he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them inside the shade of the trees. So Abraham welcome these, welcome, has a vision, or sees the Lord, the Lord appears, welcomes these three with hospitality, starts by washing their feet, and then gives them hospitality by feeding them under the tree. Flash forward, John chapter 13. The Lord appears to Abraham, but now God is in flesh, John 13 the biggest undercover boss episode of all time. And Jesus humbles himself as a servant and washes the disciples' feet and feeds them and then is hung on a tree. Abraham washes their feet and is hospitable to the Lord, feeds them, and then waits on them under a tree. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in Genesis 18... This is a type and shadow of the Trinity. In fact, there's an ancient icon, uh, an Eastern Orthodox icon that was painted over 500 years ago of the three angels that appeared to Abraham. And what's so significant about it is in the painting, in the icon, there's a space in the middle because the painter wanted to exemplify that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, although Abraham was showing hospitality to them, 
the Trinity through Jesus is showing hospitality to us and has invited us and there's a space for us at his table. You know that you're not just loved by one, but you're loved by three. Of course, you're loved by many. Unless you're really mean. Nobody likes you. But you're still loved by three. It's, it's nice to be loved by somebody. But when you're surrounded by love, it transforms you. See, when you realize the gospel is an invitation into feast, into life everlasting, and you taste, and you partake of the bread of life, and you drink in the living water, and, and you feast on the calf that we see in Genesis 18, which, by the way, points to what Jesus said in the prodigal son story, kill the fatted calf. That's a type of Christ. We feast on him and we're invited into this relationship and we're surrounded by, we're not just loved by one, we're loved by the Father, we're loved by the Son, come on somebody, and we're loved by the Holy Spirit. That is the hospitality we've been shown. How much more now can we, when we encounter and experience and receive that love, that that love overflows, that now we see, oh, we know the heart of the Father, that you are always welcome at the Father's table. That's why Jesus says, stop this nonsense. You're not enjoying the party. Listen, you need to be inviting the poor, the lame, the broken invite and show hospitality and open your heart to people you don't know. That is Christian love because at the table, God can do a work. God can melt the hardest of hearts. Come on. It doesn't mean you affirm who everything that they do, but you can accept them right where they're at. I don't care how sinful they are. Come on, somebody. Jesus ate with sinners. Come on. He ate with tax collectors. He told Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, little short dude climbing up the tree. What's up, bro? I'm going to your house today. We're going to feast together. People looked at that in that day and said, he's a sinner, man. He's robbing people. What the heck? Because when you feast and you dine with someone, it was an intimate thing. It's sharing a covenant meal. And God has shown us mercy in Christ. Come on. God has shown us that there is a seat at the table for you and I. How much more should we realize we've been shown this forgiveness that that invitation now should flow through our lives. Come all who are thirsty. Come on. The spirit and the bride say come. In, Revela in the end of the book of Revelation, how many know that that is an evangelistic appeal? The spirit and the bride, the church, call come to the broken and the hurting. Fervent love for one another and showing hospitality because we know that we've been shown hospitality and we've been invited in and we've been included and we've been accepted and we've been adopted and we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You've been the focus of his love the whole time. Matter of fact, let me just say this as I close. He's always wanted a son and a daughter just like you. And you're his favorite. Drew, you're his favorite. There's nothing you can do about it. I tell all my kids, I tell all my kids, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other kids. Layla says it to me. Daddy, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other kids. So I'm her favorite. She loves me more than mom. No, I'm kidding. But with the heart of the father, we can all be his favorite. And when we know that love, man, it's like, oh, there's always room at our table. 
I remember talking to a young man in, uh, at Las Vegas, and he's telling me his lifestyle, lived a lifestyle of sin. I didn't agree with it, didn't affirm it. He says, and he's telling me his experience with the Christian church. And, and listen, like true love, I remember Josiah said this one time, I love it. True love does not compromise. Like love is not just some passive thing. Oh, just do whatever you want to do. No, love shapes who we really are. Love corrects, protects. Hello? So I said, listen, this doesn't mean I affirm everything you do, but I looked at this young man who didn't know who he was. And I said, young man, it doesn't matter. I don't affirm your lifestyle. I don't agree with it. But you're welcome at my table anytime. Because I know that opening my heart and my table can transform the hardest of hearts. So good. Lastly, there's a powerful story of uh, the Coptic Christians that were beheaded by ISIS many years ago. And they, they interviewed and journalists came to the bishop, the main, you know, pastor uh, sort of thing in this, in this area of Egypt. And they said, what is your stance towards ISIS? What do you say to ISIS? And here's what he said. One thing he said, it's easy. We forgive them. And they're like, what? Then they asked a mom in the Christian community. And they asked this mom that lost two sons to ISIS. Both of her sons were beheaded. And they said, what's your stance? She said, here's what she said. This is so powerful. I would invite members of ISIS in my home if perhaps their heart would be open to the love of God. Wow. What if the church started displaying radical love and forgiveness that was just a glorious light, the bride just shining, and the world's like, dang, what is that? That's what we need. You know, ethnic reconciliation is not hard when you sit at a table when Jesus is present. Walls come down. Well, we need to implement this and we need this ideology. No, we need to sit at a table and let the love of God transform our hearts. We need radical forgiveness, radical restoration, and radical reconciliation. God does it. God does it. Kingdom over everything. I want your reign, Jesus, your rule, your government the reign and rule of your love, transform my heart. I've been invited. I've been forgiven. I've been included. Now may my heart be open to invite others. It is a beautiful invitation of hospitality. And may we as believers not get caught up in insignificance, but be hospitable to one another and show fervent love to one another. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this precious community. I bless them. I bless them. I bless them. I pray that you would baptize them in your love and they would know how significant they are, that they would all hear the whisper of the Father's voice saying, you're my favorite. They would all hear the whisper. They don't need a title. They don't need a platform. They don't need any. They don't need a position. They are beloved children of God. Beloved so just be loved. You're invited. There's room at the Father's table. You're significant. And may our hearts burn with that love that we evangelism would just be effortless. Relating and loving and welcoming people in the love of God transform them the way it transforms us continually. We receive it. 
We thank you for it, Lord. I bless every person. And I bless them with the benediction of St. Paul in Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we just thank God? Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.